Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. you have the effrontery to tell me that this slaughter was necessary? I did what I had to do. Given the legitimate purpose which you sanctioned, I would have to say yes. In truth, yes. No alternative, Your Eminence. We must work in the world. The world is thus. No, Senor Hontar. Thus have we made the world. Thus have I made it. Thus have we made the world, thus have I made it. These are powerful words. If you've not seen all of the movie, The Mission, if that's the only clip you've seen, you might not realize just what an impact those words have. If we haven't met yet. My name's Scott Blevins, part of the pastoral team here at Garfield Memorial Church. You've probably figured out now. Uh, actually, I think uh, it was already announced that, that my favorite movie that I'm preaching on today is The Mission. There's so much going on in that movie, there's no way we can deal with it adequately in one short sermon. Uh, Even a long sermon uh, 
we're going to, I'm going to be doing a Zoom chat this afternoon. If you want to watch that movie sometime today, you can rent it on Amazon Prime Video, YouTube, Vudu, number of different platforms. And uh, we'll talk about that at 4.30 in a Zoom chat. If you would like to be part of that discussion, just email me at scott at garfieldchurch.org. Put the words movie talk in the subject line. I'll send you the link and we will have some time to talk more about the movie together. But those words, those are powerful words and they might seem... Even strange world, the, the, you know, I, certainly what Senior Hontar says makes sense. We live in the world and the world is thus. This is just the way the world is. But what Cardinal Altamirano says, thus have we made the world, thus have I made it. Do you and I, do individuals and groups of people have the power to make the world? I mean, we're not God. We can't speak and bring galaxies into existence. We can't say light and let there, and there is light. We can't create animals. We can't do those things. But we do have power to make the world. God gave us that power. All the way back when God was making the world, when he created human beings, he created us, he breathed into us his Holy Spirit, and he said two things, be fruitful, multiply. We've done okay at that one. He said, have dominion over the world. Many theologians call that the cultural mandate, that God gave us humanity, this mandate, this responsibility to make the world according to God's design. We've gotten way, way, way off the original specs. Uh, you know, and that's sin. Sin is not, I broke the law and, and I should be punished for it. Sin is when we're off target. God had a design. God had an image. God is the chief visioner of all visioners. He had a vision for what the world would be, what God intended the world to be. And God said to us humans, you, you got a role in this. And we said, blueprints, we don't need no stinking blueprints. We'll do it our way. And this is what we got. And Hontar's right. The world is thus. We live in the world, and the world is thus. But he's also so wrong. Because the way he says that, there is a fatalism in it. And whether it's a, a secular fatalism or some sort of baptized fatalism that says we can't do anything about it, so let's just eat, drink, and be merry, or for tomorrow we die, or let's just pursue power for me and my own and take care of myself, that kind of fatalism, that kind of fatalism just takes us toward the cliff even faster. Alta Murano is beginning to move in the right direction. He'd been headed in the wrong direction. He was off target as much as anybody was, and he's beginning to make that turn. Thus have we made the world. Altamirano recognized one of the realities that we need to recognize if we're going to be world makers in a way that, that furthers God's designs, that move this world closer to God's intention. And the question for the day is this, what kind of world are you making? What kind of world are you making? If you want to make a world that brings us closer to God's intention, then we need to be aware of a number of things. The first thing we need to be aware of is the reality of sin. The world is thus. And we live in this world, and there is no escaping that. Some sin is obvious. It is grossly obvious. One of the main characters in this movie is Captain Mendoza, Rodrigo Mendoza. He starts out as a captain. He ends as something else. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Mendoza was a slave trader and a mercenary. 
He loved his family. He loved his wife. He loved his brother. He wanted to provide for them. He wanted to secure their future. He wanted them to have security and safety and prosperity and, and to have all of the opportunities and possibilities that were available to them. And he secured that through violence for pay and the slave trade. He would cross the border up into the mountains of what we now call Paraguay and what we now call South America. And he would go among the, the people that were the First Nations that were there. In this particular location, those First Nations people were the Guarani. And he would capture and enslave, sometimes kill the Guarani. And that was how he secured his future. And every thinking person today, every moral person today, I think every person of, of genuine religious faith and conviction and Christian faith and conviction today would say that was sin. That was wrong. To us, that's evil. It's one of those gross, obvious kinds of sins. It's not always been obvious within our culture. We'll talk about that in a minute too. But, but for us today, as we look back, we say, you know, it is clear that Mendoza was out of line. He, he went even further, a man deeply steeped in honor and protective of his own honor. Like I said, he loved his wife, he loved his brother. When he found out his brother was having an affair with his wife, he grew enraged. He challenged his brother to a duel. His brother was not a professional soldier, and Mendoza easily killed his brother. Clear, obvious, gross sin. But not all sin is that way. Some sin is subtle. Some sin is so subtle, we can't even see it. Father Gabriel, Father Gabriel represents a real uh, uh, Jesuit monk, Jesuit missionary from, from that day. This all took place in the mid-1700s. This uh, account is based on true events and, and some true people following the signing of the Treaty of Madrid in the mid-1700s. And, and that treaty transferred Spanish territory to the country of Portugal. Spain had ostensibly outlawed slavery in their territories. It still happened. No surprise there. There was money to be made from it. Um, but it still happened. But now they're the, all of the Jesuits had set up all of these mission sites in Spanish territory where the local, the local folks, the Guarani, could come and be safe from the slave trade. And now with the transfer of that territory to Portugal, all of those mission sites were going to Portugal, and all of those folks that the Jesuits had been trying to protect would now be exposed to murder and rape and slavery. And the real Father Gabriel was actually Roque Gonzalez de Santa Cruz, later declared a saint by the church. And he gave his life protecting the Guarani from the slave traders. That's a good thing. He was a man of faith. And he was a man of faith who had recognized sin in the world. His father was one of the original conquistadors. His father was one of the first people that brought death and destruction and slavery to what the Europeans called the New World, where people had been living for thousands of years. And the original father, Roque, he, he changed. He wanted to make a different kind of world than his father was making. But even he 
was caught up in subtle sin that we simply become culturally blind to. For him, it was a sin of cultural arrogance, cultural supremacy, and white supremacy. You see, when he shared the gospel with the Guarani, he didn't just tell them about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the forgiveness that is available because of what Jesus has done. He, he didn't tell them just that. He said, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to stop dressing like you dress and start dressing like we dress. You need to stop living like you live out in the jungle and start building houses to live in like like we live. You need to stop listening to the music and playing the instruments you play and start listening to our music and playing our instruments. Do you know that good, faithful, well-intentioned missionaries taught indigenous peoples all over the world that demons lived in their musical instruments? And they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. In fact, they thought they were serving God. Some sin is subtle. Now, many folks see that sin now. Many folks, not everyone, but many folks can see that sin now and recognize it as sin. But Father Gabriel, Father Roque, couldn't even see that. He was completely blind to that sin. It was so subtle. So I want to help us get in his shoes a little bit here today because if we can't get in his shoes on this subtle sin, we're going to not feel the power of this movie and this message. So we talk a lot about racism at Garfield Memorial Church. We need to talk about racism. Racism is evil. It is part of that thing that has developed as we abandon God's plans for this world and pursued our own. And we need to talk about it. We need to work against it and push back against it. Uh, But there are other sins that we need to address as well. And the one that I think Americans are most blind to, perhaps, is the sin of greed and consumerism. I know, now you're getting antsy and squirrely and you're deciding whether you want to flip over to a different uh, video on YouTube, see if someone will talk about something that will make you less uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable, please. Be uncomfortable for a minute. It is important that you be willing to be uncomfortable. We need to hear about this sin. You might say, oh, God, everybody knows greed is a sin, but I don't do that. Really? Really? Part of our sin is when we participate in systems and institutions that bring death and destruction to others so that we can have security and comfort for ourselves and our own. And our economic systems are like that. Think about this. Do you know? Do you know? These statistics, by the way, are pre-COVID statistics. These first set of statistics are from 10 years ago. And so they were way pre-COVID and things haven't gotten better. Trust me. There are a billion people in the world that live on less than $1 a day. One billion people. That is almost three times the population of the United States of America. Okay? There are another 2 billion people that live on $2 a day or less. And that's not 2 or $1 a day plus free public education, plus Medicaid, plus WIC, plus Medicare, plus Social Security. That's it. That's everything. That you've got to feed your family, clothe your family, educate your family, provide health care for your family with $2 a day or less. And you can't do that. You can't do that. Three billion people. Do you know that 26,000 children die every day from starvation and treatable diseases? That was pre-COVID. 
We've gotten all distressed. And I know COVID has created a lot of real distress and real agony in this country and in Western culture. But you've got to understand, before COVID ever hit, 26,000 children a day. Do you realize, let's make it, as big numbers are sometimes hard to wrap our brains around. That's a number. If that many children every day were dying in Cuyahoga County, every child in Cuyahoga County would be dead in 10 days. Every child. That many are dying every 24 hours. Every 24 hours. And you say, Pastor Scott, I'm not part of that problem. I'm just taking care of myself. We are among the wealthy folks. If you are in the United States and you are in a family of four, I'm going to stick with a family of four just for averages. I know some folks are single out there. Some folks are married couples. Some folks are couples. Some folks have one kid, no, whatever. But, but I'm just, you know, I don't have time to do every formulation of this. So family of four and making $50,000 a year as a household income, you are in the wealthiest 9% of the people in the world. If you only make $25,000 a year, that's below the poverty line for a family of four. You're still in the wealthiest 17% of the people in the world. 83% of the world is poorer than you. Let's go up the ladder. If you make $100,000 a year as a family of four, you are in the wealthiest 2.5% of people in the world. If you're in a family of four making $500,000 a year, you are in the wealthiest 0.9%. Let me ask you a question. Who makes your shoes? Who stitches your clothing together? And, and, And creates the fabric that they're made of? Who makes the components for your phone. Forget where your car is assembled. Who makes the parts, the components that make up your car? Let me ask you this question. Who makes the batteries that you put in everything? Do you know what those folks are getting paid? Do you know if they're getting paid? Do you know the battery making is one of the most polluting activities? Just mining lithium is one of the most lithium batteries all over the place. Your phone's full of it. One of the most toxic things we mine. Probably don't have a lithium mine in your backyard. Do you know who does? You see, you live in a system that is built upon the backs of the poor and the vulnerable and the weakest people in the world. And you can't escape that reality. Even if you buy your clothes secondhand, you're still driving a car. You're still using a phone. Are you beginning to feel distressed? If you are, good. And I don't mean that in a snarky, judgmental good. I mean we need to feel the pain of this. We need to feel the weight of this. Because if we can't manage to feel the pain of the sin that we are participating in, we have no chance of making a world that's closer to God's design. Mendoza changed. He only changed because he felt the pain. Watch this next clip. It's Mendoza 
in his self-imposed jail. your executioner. Perhaps that will be easier. Leave me alone. You know what I am. Yes. You're a mercenary. You're a slave trader. And you killed your brother. I know. And you loved him. Though you chose a strange way to show it. Mendoza felt the pain of his sin. God has given us a way. We've got to feel it. We've got to feel the pain. But God has given us a way to deal with that, to deal with that agony. It's confession and repentance. And and confession and repentance, we get those all messed up all the time. Confession is not, I committed the crime. We watch, it's way too many crime drama definitions of confession. Confession is when we say about a situation what God says about a situation. When we say about ourselves and our actions, what God says about it. And repentance is when we begin to think. We change our thinking so that we're no longer thinking in those old destructive ways. We're now thinking about these things the way God thinks about them. And it's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. Confession and repentance, when we really, really do it, is agonizing. It is absolutely agonizing. And we, in this United States culture, we, we live in a culture that has made a, 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 an obsession 
A fundamental part of our culture is what can we do to avoid pain and suffering? I mean, we, can, we, we use chemicals to avoid pain and suffering. We use relationships to avoid pain and suffering. We buy stuff to avoid pain and suffering. We use, we use you know, the, the gratification of all manners of desires, both, both base and, and, and whatever, to, to avoid pain and suffering. Or we just deny it. We say, it's not me. I'm not part of the problem. I'm just doing the best I can. The world is this way, and I got to live in the world. Don't put anything on me. I'm not part of the problem. Or, or... Or we try to punish ourselves for it. And we say, i got to make myself suffer. I've done all these bad things, and I'm just going to keep beating myself up for it. I'm going to inflict all sorts of pain on myself for it. Or worse yet, worse yet, we find other people and blame them for the problems. And we say, we'll put them in jail if we can just keep them out of power. If we can just get our kind, ourselves in power, then we can deal with the pain and suffering. And it's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's all denial and avoidance because we don't want to feel the reality of our own sin. We cannot say, we have made it thus. Thus have I made it. But we've got to. We've got to. We've got to be willing to feel that pain. The pain, I heard someone say years ago, I don't know who first said this, but man, it's one of my favorite we only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. we got to be willing to feel that pain. And when we do, when we get where Mendoza got, I'm pointing to a screen that doesn't, he's not on anymore, but he was there. When we get to that pain that Mendoza felt, then, then when we are hopeless, when we are broken, when we are in absolute despair, this is so, so good. Because then... We have a chance to meet Jesus. We have a chance. Jesus didn't come for the healthy people. Jesus came for the sick people. When you know you're sick, Jesus will be there. Jesus didn't come for the people that had it all together and all going on right. He came for the broken people. When you're broken, Jesus is there. Jesus didn't come for the people that are like, hey, we're marching to Zion. It's all good. Woohoo! Jesus came for the people like, I don't know how to take the next step. Jesus is there as his shepherd to guide you and to guard. When you are broken, now you have a chance to meet Jesus and really meet Jesus. That Jesus who says, I can give you sight. I can give you life. But you got to see things my way. When that happens, when that happens, we have hope. We have hope. And the hope comes from Jesus who offers us forgiveness. And, and forgiveness, man, forgiveness is one of those words that's gotten so cheap. Forgiveness is not about pretending the wrong wasn't done. Forgiveness acknowledges that the wrong was done. Forgiveness isn't about minimizing anything. Forgiveness is, is being aware of the magnitude of how broken we are. And it's a gift that brings, it's the It's the only gift that will bring relief from that agony of confession and repentance. I can talk about it, but I want you to see it. This next scene, my favorite movie scene in the history of movie scenes right here. This next scene, watch this. Mendoza chose his penance. 
He chose his penance. Penance isn't a way to work your way out of sin. Penance is a way of helping you experience the reality of the suffering in yourself that you have caused to other people. That's the purpose of penance. Mendoza said there's no penance that will be enough for him. And so his penance was he put all of his weapons of war in a big net, his swords and his knives and his armor, and he carried them up the mountains and climbing up the cliffs and across the rivers up to the Guarani, the very people who he had been enslaving, and he was recognized. They knew him. He was the one that had taken their, their sons and their daughters, their husbands and their brothers and their wives, and sold them into slavery, and this is what happened. Watch this.
that is the clearest picture of forgiveness that I can give. And, and if you have not experienced forgiveness in that way, where the grief and the joy just mingle together, and, and this, this sorrow and elation and pain and, and, and laughter all at once, then, then might I suggest it's because you haven't allowed yourself to feel the pain of the sin that you have done. To know the power of the forgiveness that Jesus gives. This, this forgiveness is the only way to relief because we can't fix it ourselves. We can't fix the problems ourselves. We can only be forgiven for our participation in them. But the forgiveness is not the end of the story. It's not. Too much of the Christian faith and teaching that I grew up with stopped the story here. He's, he's gone. It was right here. Stop the story right where I stopped that clip. I don't know why I do that. I keep pointing back to what's not there. There's a spiritual metaphor all by itself right there. We stop the story there. I got saved. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I've been forgiven. I got my get out of hell free card. We sang it this morning. Thank God the chains are broken. I've been set free. All of that is beautiful. All of that is wondrous. All of that is amazing. But it's not the end. The end of the story hasn't been even written yet. Well, Revelation, it was written. But we haven't lived it yet. We got work to do. We've got work to do. You know, this, this business, if you've been around the church for a while, you might have heard people arguing about, is we saved by faith or we saved by works? We're saved by Jesus' death on the cross. That's how we're saved. We, we need faith to receive that, and we need faith to do the work that follows after that, because if all we have is belief that Jesus did that, we've got nothing. We're dead. James said, faith without works is dead. We've got to do the works of repentance. We've got to bear the fruit of repentance. We've got to live in a way that helps make this world more like the kingdom that God designed it to be. That's the work that God has given us. And if that's where we stop, if we stop with, I'm saved, thank you, Jesus, then we are in trouble that servant that Jesus had cut into pieces and thrown out with the hypocrites was a servant of God. He was already in the household of God, but he was living for himself instead of using his love to build other people up. God has given us work to do, and it's long work, and it's hard work, and it takes patience. It did not, pay, not that patience that says, just settle with what things are now and be patient, and, and, and an excuse for never changing. That's not patience. Patience is being willing to suffer for a long time as we work long and hard to make this world more like the kingdom of God. We'll never get there all by ourselves. Jesus will do a work, but we have to be about that work. We have works to do. James said, faith without works is dead. It's dead. Mendoza received that forgiveness and used the rest of his life to build up the people he had previously been enslaving, to protect the people he had previously been destroying. He bore fruit of his repentance. He did good works. And Paul said, don't go grow weary of doing the good 
works. So I've got to wrap things up. I'm going to leave you with this question. What kind of world are you building? What kind of world are you building? Because we're building a world. Whether you want to be a role model or not, whether you want to be a world builder or not, how you are spending your minutes is how you're spending your days. And how you're spending your days is how you're spending your life. And how you're spending your life is the world that you're making. What kind of world are you making? What kind